Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, the day's date is July 13th. 2020 or 6260. This is the African Liberation Media. For the past several years, we have tried to engage the public in some of the critical issues. I'll start by saying that in 6260, we're still governed by the slave code. What's the problem? It's a European problem. The justification of a man is shadowed to justify a system of exploitation. It is sad to say that the lie has been internalized not only by the European, but in the souls of black folk. I'm here with brothers, Amos, brothers, Makiru, and of course we have a special guest, brother Sundiati, who, Sundiata, who almost will be talking with for the bulk of the program. Gentlemen, take it wherever you want to take it. A baby for Hodier, African family. Uh, tonight we have a very special guest that's been on our programs in the past. Uh, but tonight, what we're going to talk about tonight is pivotal to African people in this current century that we're in and going forward, when you talk about African survival, African sovereignty, and African spirituality. And uh, the last term that I use specifically points to the reason why this brother is here. Uh, this brother is very much into uh, African spirituality, traditional African spirituality. And what we're going to get into tonight is not just talking about religion and where religion has failed us, but it's really talking about solutions to spiritual issues that exist within the African uh, within the African makeup on this planet. Uh, things that we need to address within ourselves, within our beliefs going forward, and how we can pull different aspects of spiritual systems that existed for thousands of years not only across the continent but in African people in general into something that can benefit us going forward for the rest of our existence on this planet so I want to introduce to you the brother who needs really no introduction especially in the Charlotte community for the amount of work that this brother has put in brother Sundiata Ayotunde Sundiata how you doing brother Excellent. Thank you. Love and good to be here. Good to see my elders. This is this is uh, a pleasure. Let, let me let me say something before uh, Brother Sundiata uh, starts, and that is uh, the reason we have African Liberation Media is because Brother Sundiata called a group of us together uh, over three years ago. Uh, we had a gathering, you know, at his home and during the process of brainstorming or just trying to be uh, operate in the in the spirit of Kaumba creativity. We started tossing around ideas and the idea of starting a podcast was developed during uh, the conversations that 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 took place on, on that evening. And you know, it, it's no it's no surprise that 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 Brother Sundiata's you know would would be one of the progenitors of this program because uh, you know I met I met this uh, y- young brother to me then when uh, he returned from his uh, state paid vacation. That's right. And uh, he was he 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 jumped in right with us as we were protesting at that time against the killing killings of some African people by the Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. But over the years, uh, this brother 
has had uh, has always possessed one of the most creative minds that I've ever been associated with. And believe me, I've been associated with a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, in that in the struggle for African liberation media. And he has one of the most creative minds. So when uh, Brother almost told me about this this uh, concept that uh, that they that he and Sundiata and some others were working on it. It came as no surprise to me, but I, I just wanted the audience to know, for those who don't know, I'm sure a lot of our longtime listeners know, but just more formally given. And he he not one of these guys that's walking around, give me credit for this. And this brother only this brother's only concerned about one thing, the liberation and empowerment of African people. He's, he's like he's like a lot of the rest of us. I, don't don't invite me for no recognition or nothing until African people are liberated. You know, what I mean, unless I happen to strike a mighty blow. But, uh, you know, that's the way he is. And so I, I just wanted to say that formally, uh, you know, for our audience. So go ahead, brother, with that said. I'll say. Thank you, Elder. All right, brother Sundiata. Uh, you know, I'm going to ask a few questions. And some of these questions, I probably know the answers to. But for our listening audience, and I may not know the answer to. I mean, you may drop something on me tonight that even some things that I haven't thought of or even processed uh, as of yet. But for our listening audience and for the viewers who will be watching this, um, tell us your definition, your personal definition of African spirituality. So I I tend to use the the word African spiritual science. because that's exactly what we're working with. We're working with a science. It is the interaction of humans, right? Black African humans with the natural world, which includes the cosmos. And so uh, within that cosmos, there are spiritual energies, elements uh, that we call divinities, whether those divinities are Risha, Netas or bosoms or what have you, but all African spiritual science um, is how we function in that, how we manipulate those things and interact with those things to improve not only the quality of our lives, but the quality of, of this life. And so um, that interaction, that symbiotic relationship that we have with everything as one functioning system along with us, um, that is what African spiritual science is, our relationship with those things. And I think it's very important that you put science into it uh, specifically because in certain situations, a lot of times we tend to get very, very, what people tend to call uh, spooky. Yeah. And Absolutely. a lot of times that leads us to either bad decision making or not really having a solid foundation behind what we believe or what the thoughts we try to put forth. So there yeah. has to be a sense of knowing what we're what we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so so I, I think that that is, is pivotal. Um, now, and we talked about this in the past. Uh, the importance of a spiritual system for African people. Mm. Um, You know, a lot of times we get off on a tangent about, you know, the effect of the white Jesus and the effect of Christianity and uh, Judaism and Islam. Um, But we don't really bring forth those type of solutions that can help to not only fix the issues that those spiritual systems cause against us but give us something that we can then utilize uh within ourselves um so before we get into the solution that you're proposing or one of the solutions that you're proposing uh for african people just talk a little bit about your journey into um, african spiritual science and the correlation of that in the specific spiritual systems that you have uh, experience in, in practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like many, you know, I grew up, um, I won't say I grew up a Christian, 
Like, I grew up um, believing that there was a God and there was a Jesus. But my parents didn't um, make us go to church, right? So I didn't go to, I, didn't, I wasn't raised in a church going household. I had uh, one aunt uh, who, I, who I love who used to pull up at least one or two Sundays out of the month in that big blue Cadillac. And she was the one to say, <laughs> y'all may not be going to church, but I'm going to save these babies, right? So load the babies up in this car and let me take them to church. So I, I came up in the church uh, via my aunt and my grandmother, uh, right on Beta's Fork Road, Friendship, um, Friendship Baptist Church. And um, and so I carried that for, for a long time, right? So my journey was a little different. I, 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 in no stretch of imagination did I engage the church. I, I, I fell asleep most days. I only liked certain songs that I would stay up on. One being just a little light of mine, and and you know that was that was it. Uh, and then you know for those who don't know, I, I got involved in um, this bad um, belief that I was a gangster, uh, that I was some street guy. I believed it. And because I believed it, uh, uh, my actions followed. And so I got very heavily involved in street activities, in and out of jails, in and out of psychiatric facilities, and you name it. If they could lock you up in it, they found a way to lock me up in it. And just kind of through the course of that, um, I, 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 I got sick and tired, as Fannie Lou would say. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired about 17, which is strange. You know, you think about somebody 17, you don't imagine that. They already tired of life, but when you've been shot, when you've been incarcerated, when you've been poked and prodded in psychiatric hospitals, put on psychiatric drugs, mm. and you're trying to figure out how did I, how did I get here? What is this? What is, what is, you know, where did I go wrong? Uh, and in that process of kind of figuring that out, I, I thought maybe if I go back to school, because I dropped out of school, maybe if I go back to school, get myself together, you know, I'll figure my life out and ease my way out of these streets. So I, I rolled to go to school at Central Piedmont. While I was in, at Central Piedmont, I, I, I just, I guess, you know, what was in me started happening because I was a part of organizing the first black student organization. Now, let me just backtrack a little bit. My father, I grew up uh, uh, looking at um, Franz Fanon, Wretched of the Earth. I grew up with Native Son. I grew up with autobiography of Malcolm X. I grew up with T-shirts saying uh, um, "Free Free South Africa." <laughs> right? I grew up with T-shirts with Stephen uh, 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 Biko. That was my father. <laughs> so I I, it, I won't act like this just came out of nowhere. I just didn't pay it any attention. You know, it was there. I had it. I wore it. You know, my father, uh, a part of, of punishment, my father would uh, have me read um, encyclopedias and write reports. So it was there. So it, it, it wasn't some strange thing for me to arrive on a community college campus, start to uh, gravitate towards black folks who were trying to organize and do something positive and then develop a black student organization. But along that process, I met a brother named um, Shawade, and that brother was Muslim. And that brother introduced me to two books. He said, brother, I don't know what you're into. I don't know what your beliefs are. All I'm going to ask you is to read two, these two books. I know you got a lot of questions, but read these, and then I'll answer all the questions I can for you. And he gave me the Gospel of Barnabas and, and Jesus, the Prophet of Islam. And uh, they were good books. Um, I came back. He was able to answer a lot of the questions I had at the time about religion and spirituality in a way that connected with me. And before I knew it, I was taking my Kalima Shahada and becoming Muslim, right? So I was Muslim, but maybe some months after that, I was I was charged with an armed robbery um, that I didn't commit and began this process of going to trial. I, I prayed and prostrated five times a day to Allah, asking Allah to remove this burden from me, went to court and was still found guilty and sentenced to 14 years, seven mandatory in the state of North Carolina. So when I was in the county jail, there weren't a lot of Muslims. And my thinking started becoming, maybe because I traded on Jesus, <laughs> this happened to me. <laughs> and then it was co-signed by an older brother. And they was like, yeah, brother, you mean you? Man, yeah, Jesus could have got you out of it. 
right? And you know, when you when you face it, you know, you got 14 years and you don't know what's next. It all sounds good. Like so I went back uh to Christianity. Mm. Uh and I went back earnestly this time though. Listen, that was a I wanted just a Bible a Bible thumper, brother. I hit the state of North Carolina prison system, Pope Youth Center, 1900 Blue Ridge Boulevard. I, my nickname was the Holy Hitman. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and I I knew that back, that Bible forward, backwards, and again. And I would hunt down, listen, brother, hunt down Muslims, five percenters, anybody who was attacking Christians, and go to war with them with my Bible. It was good. It was good at it, brother. And that lasted a while, and I started having these other questions, though. The more I studied, the more I researched. I started having other questions. Brothers couldn't answer this. The people who were coming out for the street to evangelize in the prison systems couldn't answer them. And I finally ran into this brother named Bilal, who was an answer at the time. This was Dr. Yoke before he became Dr. Yoke. He was Emel El-Hadi El-Mahdi, right? Uh, and he started introducing me to the answer a lot doctrines. And because there was this good blend of use of the Quran, the Kitabullah, and the Bible, it was an easier transition for me. But one of the things that really stuck out to me, uh, Imam Issa at the time was explaining how white people weren't human. Mm. And I was like, whoa, yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and so... You know, I had went through this period of non-denomination. I'm nothing. I'm just spiritual. You know, we have those moments. And then I became my answer. So then I'm back in Islam, but this time it's not Sunni, right? It's not Orthodox Islam. This is Islam with a, a with a with a black liberation uh, twist to it. So I started organizing in the prisons and every camp. I I I became a very serious threat in state prisons in North Carolina because every step camp I went on, um, probably, I would say, honestly, 30 to 40% of the brothers on that camp, I converted into Islam. Uh, mm. and, and, but not only that, it still was that with the primary focus on um, liberating ourselves as, as black people uh, from what I believed at that time was the, the religion of our slave masters. And so I started running to other brothers, brother named Free Eyeball, who started introducing to me to comedic science. So I started infusing a little bit of that. Then I started bumping head with even some Muslim brothers who was liberated because uh, this, this thing didn't really feel that African, didn't feel that black, even though they was calling the white man the devil and all of this existed, uh, it didn't feel like home. And so when I finally came home, the brothers that I connected with when I came home, uh, my elder right on this line started introducing me to the, the Dr. Clarks, the Dr. Benz, the Amos N. Wilson, right? I had never read any of these literatures. I was, you know, I, I had read some things, but nowhere near on, on, on the level where, where uh, McElroy was uh, introducing me to. And my brother, my good brother, Trey, started introducing me to the, the Bobby Hemmings and the Phil Valentines and the David Blairs. And then my, my good brother, Roman, started introducing me to comedic science that I ran into big brother uh, uh, Ra Auntie uh, of the Asara set and I started going on retreats with the Asara set society then I was, then a sister named Jay-Z had to ask me a question one day she said, how you trading one slave master for another slave master? I said, whoa, what are you talking about? So she started talking about the Arab spin and then a brother, the, 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 the straw that broke the bull's back was one day I went to Juma service over on Tuckasegee when the, the mosque was on Tuckasegee and the brother said, brother, I heard you was down at Kwanzaa. I said, yeah, I was down at Kwanzaa. Brother, you know you shouldn't go down to Kwanzaa. So why shouldn't I go down to Kwanzaa? You know, they be down there pouring that libation, uh, uh, worshiping the ancestors. And that is shirk, brother. That is association <laughs> things with a lot. I said, brother, you are wrong. That's great. And it took me literally maybe two weeks of just studying in the Quran, looking into the Hadiths looking for something, uh, and I found this one ayah, I don't remember what surah is in, but I found this one ayah where Moses said, Musa said, I hope that my name is mentioned on the tongues of truth in the next generation to come. I said, Shh, that's libation. <laughs> that's mm. libation. Ran back with that, then it hit me. 
these brothers don't want me to be African. They want me to be Arab. Mm. Mm. I see brothers putting a henna in their beards and rolling their pants. No disrespect. But that wasn't the, the Jalabiz. This wasn't who I was. Mm. This wasn't my culture. This was a culture that came into Africa. And so it was at that moment I severed ties with Islam completely and started my, uh, my journey to African spiritual science. So with that, with that journey into African spiritual science, you mentioned specifically that the turning point was, even in Islam, is when you were able to see yourself you're able to start to see yourself in the religion as far as seeing black people. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. So yes. Explain the, the importance of that, because I think that's one of the biggest problems, I believe, in uh, in the African community when it comes to these religions. And you've heard people, you know, like Omawali, Malcolm X say, you know, basically leave your religion at the door yeah that you're black yeah. first yeah you've heard elders like ashra Kwesi talk about the the white idolatry how people suffer from that from the effect of the white idolatry so when you saw yourself in this religion and you said that that was the turning point explain why specifically that now being connected to the religion from it from a cultural, well, I can't say cultural, but from a uh, ethnic standpoint, yeah. really started to turn things around for you. Yeah. Um, again, my upbringing, right? My father was very, very clear that I was a black man. Very, very clear. Made it very, very clear that I was to never engage white women. I'm talking mm. about, listen, my father showed me the picture of Emmett Till in Jet Magazine. He gave me no context. He showed me the picture and said, this is what happened when you talk to white women. Listen, <laughs> mm. brother. He did no other context. So I believe, like, as soon as <laughs> you just even speak to him, the clan or somebody was just going to come out of nowhere and that's what was going to happen to you. So that's the father I had. You know, I, I always say that my, my first words was probably cracking because my father said it at least five times a day. Mm. <laughs> you know? And, and that's the household. So um, when I saw that in context to a spiritual system, I felt like I was closer to home. It's kind of like you see the sign and you say, oh, you headed to North Carolina from New York and you see a sign that says Charlotte, you know, North Carolina, whatever the first city is you come into, 100 miles. You're like, oh, I'm close. I'm almost there. You get a little energized because you know you're closer to being home. Um, and so that's what it felt like. I felt like uh, I didn't know whether I had it right. It felt right uh, because it was empowering me. And you got to understand that this was also on the back of me having read um, Native Son, me having read Autobiography of Malcolm X, me having read, you know, all of the materials that I've read. And this my my love, like like most young men who go into incarceration, right? They love and their fascination with Omar Wally Malcolm X. Like every black man that comes to a sense of self, that's incarcerated, believes he's he's Omawali. Mm. And so this brought me closer to um Omawali. Of course, I studied the, the minister, um, listened to his cassette tapes and, and had the uh, read a message to the black man in America and had that idea that we were divine, we were gods. And so for me to have a religion that allowed me to, you know, uh, not straight too far from what I had accepted, which was with Islam, but also embraced uh, this idea that me as a black man was a divine source on this planet Earth, uh, that I had some cultural and community responsibility as a spiritual person. The church didn't mandate that of me. The church didn't mandate that I was responsible for my community uh, as a black man. And so all of those things combined just came at this head um, with the with the uh, Ansar uh, sect of Islam. So that background definitely gives us an understanding of the journey and the path to where you currently are now. I see the shrine behind you. There uh, it is. Uh, so, it you know, it's, it's pretty evident where you are now. But uh, 
let's talk about some of the problems we're seeing today. And this is what we're really going to get into uh, the solutions. Um, so you're talking about started a new religion. And uh, a lot of people, a lot of black people would say that we don't need another religion. Right? Yeah. So uh, going to this new concept of this religion that I feel is a primary solution for African people, not only in the 21st century that we're in now, but in centuries beyond. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about what that religion is, and then I want you to go into what makes this different than everything that we've heard before. Gotcha. So I'm going to ask a question of, uh, of you and, and, and the elders uh, to set the stage for that. What does religion mean? My definition of religion is basically a set of rules, regulations, and rituals that people follow that bind them together towards one common belief, understanding, and goal. Gotcha. Elder, would you would you uh co sign that definition? Well, definitely. Definitely I would. I mean it uh you know we have to look at uh since you know Christianity pretty much dominates uh African people that have that believe in any kind of religion here in uh, in the West, um I think they're probably they're more people who practice Islam on the, on the African continent. But uh, if we go back to Constantine, in addition to what uh, brother almost said, you know, it was, it was designed, it was designed uh, to be an institutional force to achieve political, uh, economic, cultural, uh, imperial uh, domination, you know, objectives. You got anything to add to that? Yeah. uh, Religion strongly held belief backed by action. Mm. Now here in the Western (laughs) Hemisphere, now here in the Western Hemisphere, the most dominant religion is the religion of white supremacy Mm. and it's sacrament racism. (laughs) For the average person in the church, uh, religion is determined by where you put your faith. Is it in God, Yahweh, Shango, or is it in your savings account? <laughs> you know, that, that's yeah. basically uh, my position. And of course, uh, the souls of black folk, the lie, be it religion, be it white superiority, being the plethora of ideology that has been uh, put forth, you know, we have internalized it in our souls. Yes. So, yes. you know, we have adopted the religion of white supremacy, no point in elaborating on it, you know, when we see it manifested every day in terms of the sumo side, suicide, homicide, the synthesis of it. And the mere fact, like Amos Wilson used to talk, that he articulated so well, you know, the fact that we are a dominated people, you know, and you don't, mm. um, you're not brought under domination to serve your interest or to serve the interest of the God you profess. You're brought under domination to serve the interest of the dominator. That's your religion. That's become my religion. Agreed. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, so this is why I ask, because this, look how beautifully that set the stage. See, one thing I want to always be clear. We, we can't just throw a term out there. Um, we have to let the people know what we mean by the term. Absolutely. We, want, we will not lead them to their own, you know, understanding or conclusion about what we mean. But, so this is what I mean. But one of the things that was, was common through everyone's response was belief. Right? And this, this implies the ism on the end of ancestralism which is the religion that we are proposing, this belief. And what do we believe, right? So if we looked at the Nguzu Saba, Nguzu Saba talks about believing in our teachers, believing in our communities, believing in our parents, right? 
It is a strong, overwhelming trust and belief. Well, who should we trust? What wisdom should we trust? Who should we believe in? Right? And I think the, 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 the common point that we can all come to, whether uh, regardless of your other beliefs, is that our ancestors are critically important to our liberation. Uh, they are the, uh, the, the libraries, the examples. Mm. And we're not just talking about ancestors because somebody transitioned. So I think that's one of the places we have to start at, right? Mm. That in our spiritual sciences, there are levels to those who have transitioned. And those who are the ancestors, the, and, uh, and Isheche we call Egungu, uh, and Kemi they call the Shep or the Shepsu, right? These are elevated ancestors, and they are elevated because of how they lived their life on this plane, right? They were ancestors before they transitioned. So you began the process of being an elevated, honored ancestor by the way you live your life now. So this doesn't require that you put down any other belief other than your belief, as Gullah said, in the, the belief of the religion of white supremacy, right? The two things can't occupy the same space at the same time. Right, and and I and I'll just give you this real quick. My first real experience, spiritual experience, I went down to Gainesville, Florida, and um, participated in a ritual sacrifice to the ancestors. And it was in this ritual that I partook in all of the physical things that I did. The things that I consumed, I elevated in my consciousness to a space that I realized that the only thing that can completely detox my person from my Eurocentric ways was African spiritual science. Because as science tells us, two things can't occupy the same space. At the same time, I cannot be completely consumed by African spirit, drum, dance, food, language, right? All of the things that they took away from us. Think about the things that they found critical to take away from us. That's not just uh, they kidnapped us and imprisoned us. But what uh, uh, all the people that they have done this to on the planet. Why do they deem it absolutely necessary to rob the African of their concepts of spirituality, their language, their musical instruments, their dance? Get what I'm saying? And African spirit science brings that all back to you. There's no way you can participate in an African spirit science and not put on African garbs, not speak African language, mm. not eat African food and drink African drink, not engage in the worship of African spiritual deities, right? All of those things, the dances, the all of it, in one place at one time, it's the only thing that will save us. So as we began to talk, right, and in the process of what I was attempting to do at the school, I was attempting to make the school a uh, epicenter of African life in Charlotte. And at the center of that African life, at its nucleus, was a pan-African community shrine where people can come and not just pour water and call names, but to elevate, activate, and engage ancestral energy for the liberation of African people here in Charlotte and, and, and abroad. Right? And so when you came to me and said, brother, listen, I got this idea, right? <laughs> that we should 
do a new religion based in ancestral veneration. I was like, man, listen, which they because it's the one thing that we don't have to argue about. We don't argue about our ancestors. We it's like arguing about whether Kobe, Mike, or LeBron are great. I ain't talking about who was the ghost. I'm talking about their greatness. We don't argue their greatness, right? So we don't, these elevated answers, nobody arguing over Wiley's greatness. Even his enemies don't argue his greatness. It's brothers on this planet mm. who are still living that despise Omar Wiley Malcolm X, but won't dare denounce his greatness and his impact, right, on this world. And so that is a point that I think and that we agreed on, that we can all bring people together in the belief, organizing our belief and taking direct instruction from the wisdom um, of our illustrious ancestors and being guided and adding on to it because African spiritual science is a living organism. It does not stay stagnated in our glorious past. As wonderful as it is, it must shape and mold itself to fit the times and the space that we and the conditions that we find ourselves in. And this is why we developed here Hudu, Juju, Rikri, Wanga, right? All of these things that came over, over uh, obey, right? And all these things, that they, all these systems that we find in the diaspora, right? Ocha. All of these things where our ancestors being culturally responsible for to the conditions that they were in, these spiritual systems were birthed out of a sense of liberation uh, to bring us back to um, Haitian voodoo, right? All of those things. So we want to tie into those things but we don't want to be separated by those things. And, I, and, and our understanding was the one thing that will uh, get rid of the dividing lines, those things that we find difference in different spiritual systems, is that we all agree in ancestor veneration. And I want to get back to one of the things you just mentioned uh, in regards to the ancestralism and Really, when you talk about the veneration of our ancestors, really, it's not even a belief. It's really us knowing. Yeah. That's one of the things when you look at a religion like a Christianity or Judaism or Islam, those are belief systems in a God that many people don't really know whether those gods exist versus with a spiritual science like ancestralism. We know that our ancestors existed in this realm. Ashe. We know that we can pull from the lessons and the teachings of our ancestors to help guide us and and help us navigate not only towards African liberation, but also towards African prosperity here in this realm that we are that we existing in right now. Yeah. So but we yeah. must be structured and organized in that note. That's right. And then implies why why a new religion. Because it's not just believing. And it's not just knowing. It's being structured, organized, and to Gullah's point, in action with this. You can't say, oh, man, I love Dessaline. I love King Jacques Dessaline. Do you? <laughs> Do you? <laughs> because nothing you are doing say <laughs> that you are inspired by and love Jean Jacques Dessalin. You say, oh, I went to prison, I got my life together, I got knowledge of self, brother, I'm the new Malcolm X. Are you? Do you know who Malcolm was? Do you know what he did? You see his actions, right? And so, very much to your point, we have to then organize ourselves into action around this belief. And and I say that the greatest um, form of ancestor veneration is ancestor continuation hmm. right it is to pick up the, the baton and run run hard with it run until they tell you your time to stop running has come right are you cut down while you're running what you should be running with a mission in hand you so if you love Amos N. Wilson so much, then if he said 
that Blueprint for Black Power was just an introduction, right? Then you should be writing <laughs> the rest of the book, mm. right? If that's the baton you choose to carry, then finish his work because his work wasn't finished. People love Ben. We can say crazy. Crazy. Oh, got the craft? I'm going to carry the craft. Mm. Right? So that's ancestor continuation. That's the highest form uh, of veneration is when we have improved upon. We're supposed to be improving upon Jop by now. What, what the new information that we have in genetic sciences that Jop didn't have, we are supposed to be advancing upon the two crater theory. We can't just keep quoting them and referencing them. We're supposed to be raising children that are going into labs, doing the research, and coming back and uh, creating cures for the, the ills that most plague the African community. Because that, excuse me, that's what Carter G. Woodson would have been doing. Right? <laughs> right? So we can't say we admire these these, these giants uh, and, and, and plenty of sisters too. Forgive me for not having mentioned a sister by now. I want them sisters to tear me apart. You can't love Yahweh Santa Y and not be a sister on the front line. Right? Mm. So I'm just saying we, we just call it their names. A lot of times I, I'm very critical of the fact that we pour water. We call names, and when the ancestors come, that's why we say rest in power, because they are not power. They are not conformed or restricted by the physical anymore. And we should be calling them into the room with marching orders to join us in a struggle, hmm. not just join us in a lecture. And I'm all for a lecture. I had plenty of them, right? But we can't just call them in the room to enjoy a lecture, and the lecture pretty much is based on their work. They heard it. They wrote it. Mm. Right? What's the marching orders? Well, let me ask you this. Let's, let's get back to the to the, uh, to the the everyday practical things that the people within our race who may not be sophisticatedly uh, aware of in regards to the different higher versions of African spiritual science and they may not understand some of the names they may not understand they may not even know uh, some of the ancestors names that we call or, or, or what that person did in their lifetime but just looking at a structure of a black spiritual system is what I like to call it, a black spiritual system particularly black because sometimes we can get lost in the term African and yeah. not realize that uh, a lot of Africa, all of Africa is not black Africa. Uh, so we have to put the term black in there, especially for y'all that hate the term black. I love to use the term black. But <laughs> it's saying that the practical things within our race, mm -hmm. like a black man marrying a black woman. Yes. Right? Absolutely. One of the things that you'll see when you look at religions like judaism where they have this belief that they are god's chosen children god's chosen people essentially something that they really took from african people and formulated into their own esoteric belief system that helps them to manifest things here in the physical realm how can this particular spiritual system ancestralism help us with the practical things that we deal with in regards to not being uh for integration in regards to supporting each other in black business or supporting each other economically being a family talk about some of those things that yeah. things like this can absolutely. help with absolutely so um ancestralism is a culturally responsible right spiritual system and when i say we have a responsibility right to our culture and that is for our own genetic survival why you can't come home with a non-black african right uh it is for our intellectual survival this is why we have to have our own uh institute black institution of learners that tells our story our narrative 
our way. See, it's interesting that everybody talks about changing the narrative. I'm not trying to change no narrative. I never had that narrative, right? <laughs> like, my father never allowed me to have another narrative other than black folk are excellent and great. So I ain't, that's me trying to change somebody else's mind about me, and I don't have time for that. And mm. so ancestralism is about the complete liberation and, and eventual sovereignty uh, of African people. It is about um, using our ancestral energy, lessons, and wisdom to be a free, proud, and productive, sovereign people once again. And I, I want to be very clear. I make the distinction between being liberated and being sovereign. Right? And I focus on liberation now because it's the stage that we're in. We're trying to liberate ourselves from a system of dependency, right? To being able to be self-sufficient. That the capacity to be self-governed is another level that requires a lot of other steps, right? But ancestralism is designed to guide and direct us to that by taking the lessons of our ancestors. We take IAT for example. IAT was the first nation in the entire world to outlaw slavery. Right? In the entire world. Right? First one. That is ancestralism. We're taking the lessons from those ancestors who understood that when, when Dessaline said, I don't even want to see a white stripe <laughs> in the Haitian flag. Right? That is ancestralism because those are where these are the lessons where we are taking our cues from, from Nama, right? From Queen Inception. From these answers, we are taking our cues on how to be a nation. See, because we don't know how to be a nation because we never lived in a time where we were a nation of people outside of uh, colonialism and being colonized. We don't know that. So the only lessons we have in that is from the lessons of our ancestors who instruct and guide us on what that looks like. We take that wisdom and we improve upon it. So that's what ancestralism is about. So when you talk about the economics, right, we're trying to figure out how to formulate a better version of capitalism and make it work for black folks. And I get it for the time being, do what you got to do, right, until you figure out. But know and understand, if you are not educating another generation of children to, to create a different type of e economic system that works for uh, the, uh, the, the improvement and betterment of African people worldwide, you are doing a disservice to yourself and a dishonor to your, to your ancestors who already had economic systems before this system ever came into existence, right? So we are talking about not just separating ourselves physically uh, from Eurocentric ways and Yorubu. We are talking about separating ourselves altogether. See, our liberation doesn't lie in our capacity to defeat the European. See, we European are designed around uh, objects, right? Right. Their, their desires for objects. We're the greatest objects they they've ever possessed, right? This, they they hold museums full of the greatest objects that they ever possessed were African people, and all African people have to do is refuse to be the possessions and the property of Europeans. That should be our focus. Not how to beat them at war. We'll fight them as we need to fight them. We'll do what we need to do. But our focus has to be how do we repair ourselves and get ourselves back on track. And that's what ancestralism is designed to do by taking the wisdom and the guidance of our ancestors. And moving Ashe. forward. Ashe. And I yes. think the reason why I think that's important, one of the things I think that's lost or has been lost in the understanding of uh, and, and I forgot to mention this when you asked about earlier about the definition, our individual definitions of religion. One of the things that people sometimes forget is that a religion or a spiritual practice is supposed to be built around providing for the people that believe in it. So when you look at different spiritual systems throughout African history, those spiritual systems were built around African people uh, gaining land, resources, and other things that would help them to benefit their community. But when you're trapped inside of a spiritual system that is that's not only focused on other people, but that's owned, operated, and ran by another race, then yeah. your belief is continuing to benefit them, which really ultimately makes you a slave of that religion and a slave of those people 
Yeah, and I go back. Issue. I go back to Judaism again. One of the reasons why the continuation of their ability to be able to manifest what they have been able to do on this planet and exploit other people has been through the use of their spiritual system that they have then forced on other people under a different interpretation, a different understanding from what they uh, understand it as being. So I think yeah. with, with ancestralism, this could serve really as a power base for African people to do what our ancestors told us to do, which is know thyself. Our ancestors didn't say, man, believe in God. <laughs> they said, know thyself. So, I, let, me, let me say this almost. This, here's why I lean hard on the belief part, though, right? Because there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a necessary power in belief. The, you, you mentioned the, 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 the uh, Israelis, right? The, the, I don't know whether they Jews. I want, you know, my brother's getting, man, they Jewish. I, I, got, I, I got tired of filter <laughs> through all that, right? So just know, I understand, but hear me out, right? They didn't know because they had no proof because there is no proof that they are God's chosen people. They convinced a group of people to believe it. You get what I'm saying? And they would die for disbelief. They had no knowledge, no proof. There's no archaeological, there's nothing that says you are other than their belief. So I recognize the power in that. Now I'm all for let's we we got the knowledge. We can know ourselves, right? There's mm -hmm. enough out there. But as we bring people along, we have to give people something to believe, believe in until they can grow to the knowing, right? Because before somebody can ever defend their truth with knowledge, it is the belief that drives them to the study. There's something here. Like, I believe there was something in the Quran that would support me participating in an activity of poor libation. I believe that. I didn't know it was true, but I believed it enough to spend two weeks, right, reading it line by line to try to find some some reference or parallel. Yeah, and, I think it's and, a and I think it's that. a power yeah. in mythology. Yeah. I definitely think yes. it's a power in mythology, and it's one of the reasons why our ancestors used it to, like like you just said, put people on a journey of knowing themselves and using the lessons taught in the mythology as lessons that they could apply or fables that they could apply and the principles of their everyday life. Yeah, yeah. And it's Shay Shay uh, in the Yoruba culture that most people call Ifa, right? Or uh, they say Yoruba, which is the people and their language. They deified elevated ancestors, right? Sean Gold was an actual man. It was an actual king, separate from what became the Orisha or the Arumala, right? But he was an actual man that that lived such a life, impacted his culture in such a way that they deified him, right? And so on and so forth. But to your point about how your religion uh, talks about land, economics, we're practicing, a lot of people practice Ifa in many forms, whether it's Santeria, uh, whether it's Obey, they practice this Orisha lifestyle. Let's just call it that. But the reality is that belief belongs to the European people of Nigeria. It didn't exist prior to them. It only existed after them. They created it for them. They, they, their understanding of water and their water deities was based on the waters and the systems that were around them. They're right next door to Banin, which was Dahomey, right, and Vudan. And they have their own system. These people probably genetically are the same people, right? Uh, but the, the fine people and those people in Benin created a system of Udon, right? That fit them as a people and their landmass and their understanding of creation and all of those things. So throughout right. history, African people have always developed their belief systems based on the geography 
everything that existed within that geography and their experience, their life experience of that geography, to your point, for the benefit of the people who believed in it and lived within uh, that you're, geographical you're, you're location. You're exactly right. Because even, yeah. even in the Nile Valley, up and down the Nile, you'll find different trinities based upon the region or the area that they were in in the Nile Valley. So the the people, even though they had a common, they had a common uh, understanding, they all did it in their own separate way, and they did what was most beneficial to them. And I think that's that's one of the importance of one of the earlier questions that I asked you for the people that say, why do we need a new religion? Uh, you know, what's wrong with us is going back to the spiritual systems that our ancestors used. Where in the time and space that we in now, we have to create something that can be the most beneficial for us in this time and space now. Yeah. And then maybe and thousands of years from now, Africans will create something new for themselves at that time. Yeah. And to your point, I think what we, now I think I know, um, what we understood and our intent, right, was we're not telling you to not do these things. Right. We're saying as you organize with us, right? Organize with us under this understanding, this belief, this system, right, for the liberation of African people. We are creating something that is designed to liberate African people out of these current conditions. Period. Nothing else. It's not designed to do anything else. It's it's not designed to give you individual improvement. Cause to mm. say what this is about, you can use those other systems. Cause that's what I find. People get shrines, they'll get pots, they'll get beads, they'll get all these things. But as you watch it, it is all for their personal growth and development, uh, and it does nothing um, directly for the community at large to to liberate us as a people. With all of the priests and all of the, no disrespect to any of them, with all of the things that we have, and all the spiritual magic that we have. How are we not any closer <laughs> to being liberated? Because I don't think we, because those systems weren't produced other than Haitian voodoo, right? That's why it's constantly under attack, right, by European forces. Other than Haitian voodoo, those systems weren't designed to liberate African people out of a condition. When when the Haitians decided to do their version of voodoo, they brought two initial deities into play, Luau's into play. They brought a lake bar, because they knew Papa Lake Bar was the opener of the way, right? And they brought Ogun, right? And he is the one who clears the way. He is the spirit of war. He is the spirit of weapons and take now. They knew we're going to war. We don't need no we don't need deities that's about fertility right now. <laughs> we need warring deities right now because we're at war and we're trying to get free. And they structured a whole belief system around that. And then once they gain their liberation, then you start seeing other uh, deities start to emerge later into the Haitian voodoo system. But initially, they just brought on the spirits of war. Uh, and so we have to figure out how to uh, tap into that same energy with our ancestors uh, as we go to liberate. And our liberation ain't just about a physical war, right? Our liberation is about is economic. So we have to uh, uh, tap into those ancestors. Our, our, our liberation is about education. So we have to tap into those ancestors. All the uh, areas of human activity that's, that's been laid out for us by Neely Fuller and all that we have to tap into the most qualified ancestors right? and that energy to guide us, not just to just to call their name, guide us in our work uh, and our continued work towards liberation. Well, I think, too, that's one of the positive things about this, this that you're proposing, ancestralism, is that all of those things, as you said earlier, can be incorporated under ancestralism because all of those things are talking about our ancestors in general. And that's, that's one right. of the common things that you'll see across the continent in our history is that all the spiritual systems 
focused on in some capacity ancestral veneration let me let me also add this because the continuous beyond I don't want to make everything just just a response right to to our condition part of our collective purpose as a people and I'm talking about black African people I don't I ain't even talking about people who don't even understand that they are black and African right I am talking to black African people part of our collective responsibility is to bring about the good condition and the good condition is to bring my art into existence mm. in this in this space, this world, this earth. That comes through us. We are my art in this creation. This is why, as humans, we were given all of the faculties. That not just to say we was great and we better than the birds and all this ego stuff. No, we were given all of these faculties, all these things involved in us, because we are responsible for maintaining my act on this planet and so until we do that and that is what uh ancestralism uh implies as well is to bring about the good condition and that and that implies all the see europeans have this thing just bear me for a second europeans have this thing where they have a need to compartmentalize everything and put a neat label on these neat boxes for everything so that's why we got things like a green movement. Black folks being green. What are you talking about? This is a green. That's our life. That's what that what it means to be. To be green means to be African. To be a, 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 a to be an environmentalist. To be a, a, a concern that all conservation. That's just to be African. To be concerned with the ecology, the ecosystems, and all that was in it is what it meant to be African. Right? So we don't have to put a, a, a label and a box around it. We just have to know ourselves and then act what we know. Um, out and be African, to live African, to be the verb. I'll say, well, I know we're running short on time, but uh, if you could tell the people, you know, some of the upcoming things that you have going on with ancestralism and what they can be on the lookout for. Um, yeah, so so we were kind of trying to wait for all of uh, COVID to, to, to see what was going to happen. We really want to open up a once a month celebration of family and community and veneration of our ancestral energy once a month because at the core of ancestralism is family. And family is as Amos taught us and others beyond Amos taught us. It's the nucleus to power. It is our power base. It's family. We are nothing as individuals. Um, and families are the, those things that formulate communities, that formulate nation, states. So without family, we get nowhere. And so we have to come together in the spirit of family and then organize ourselves. Uh, how do we um, support ourselves economically? and become self-sufficient as a family? Uh, how do we manufacture and produce as a family? How do we worship together as a family? So we have to make family a system again. And that's what ancestors do. So our goal is uh, coming soon, uh, as this thing begins to lift, but just be on the lookout for it. Uh, right now, tentatively, it's, it's gonna be the last Sunday um, of every month we will gather as a family uh, elevate and honor the ancestors and as a family, but also be, continue to organize ourselves around what it looks like to be a micro community. Uh, Shay, well, brother, it was definitely a, a pleasure having you on with us. And uh, if you're listening to this in your car on a podcast, uh, you can check us out on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on Google Podcasts. If you're watching this on YouTube, Please share this video, like, comment, and subscribe, and also check us out on our website, AfricanLiberationMedia.com, and follow us oh, on social also, media. Brother, I apologize. Go ahead. We also have uh, a, 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 a ancestralism-inspired uh, and based podcast coming that will be hosted uh, by this uh, platform, African Liberation Media, because this is more than a podcast. This is a African Liberation Media Network. Ashe. Uh, Shay. Yeah, one 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 thing, brother. Almost, I don't know how many people uh, uh, 
were aware today that uh, Sister Zinzi Mandela, the daughter of Madiba Nelson Mandela, youngest daughter of Madiba Nelson Mandela and Mama Winnie Madikazila Mandela, transitioned today at the age of 59. She was the uh, South African ambassador uh, to Denmark. Haven't had a chance to find out exactly what the cause but uh, Sister, Sister Zinzi has transitioned to the spiritual world at the age of 59. She rests in power. We'll be calling on you, sis. Ashe. Ashe. A BB48. 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 Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes, does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately, those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world. 